Every day you wake up, you got a chance and a choice. You have a chance because you woke up this morning, you got 24 hours in the day to make the best of it what you will, but you have a choice to figure out if you're going to do that or not. Hello, welcome to Heart Inspired, a show dedicated to highlighting individuals in their pursuit of authentic leadership, peeling back the layers to uncover the roadblocks they face, explore some of the actions they take, and what keeps them on track to continue their journey to be the best version of themselves. It is my hope that you will be inspired by their stories and gain some insights to help you in your own journey. I'm your host, Michelle Delgado. In this series, we are going to uncover some important areas that impact our lives, both professionally and personally. At some time or another, we may be impacted by imposter syndrome. So how do we recover? Who can help us? How do we support others who may be impacted? Let's explore. Keith Collins is a sales and finance professional with over 15 years of professional experience in several businesses, industries, including real estate, finance, medical sales. He has also forayed into the entertainment world as a comedian, which I can't wait to hear more about, actor and now podcast guest. So hi, Keith. Thank you so much for joining me today on my very first podcast that I'm doing under my company, Heart Metrics. So I'm hoping that our conversation today will inspire you and inspire me and inspire others who may be listening. So we're going to talk about imposter syndrome, lifeline, and mentorship and how all that ties into you. So Keith, can you uh, elaborate a little bit more on that introduction for us today? Definitely. Well, thank you, Michelle, for having me. This is a definite treat. We we recently met uh, through Business Connections and so amazing to have a conversation with you and what you've set up with your business and heart metrics and was so excited to hear more and then excited to just be on your podcast and kind of share my, my experiences. So going into what you said, I mean, it's really about the who, right? And kind of who yeah. we are. Yeah. And over my career, uh, starting back in really when I was 18, I, I started at the Naval Academy in, in Annapolis, Maryland was nominated there by our current president, Joe Biden. Uh, hopefully your listeners like him. But back then it was 20 years ago, 20, 21 years ago now. And I thought that my experience was going to be going to school, going to the military and maybe finishing out like my father did or parlaying that into a role in the corporate world. And, you know, when that didn't work out, I, I left after two years, I had to pivot, right? And change mm-hmm. What did, what did I want to do? Who did I want to become? And, and kind of what did I want to work in? My my major was international relations at the University of Delaware. So I, I thought to work in politics. Uh, you know, that wasn't going to work out for me. Uh, you know, I think <laughs> right now my, my background would not fit as a politician. Too much stuff they could look up. But I ended up working in banking. And I thought that was the right avenue. You know, corporate America, wear the shirt and tie as I am right now. And then, you know, see where that took me. To be honest with you, it's taken me all over the place, whether it's four or five different major banks, being a real estate agent, and then ultimately really burning out and kind of foraying into the entertainment world to to see, you know, kind of try my, my measures there. It's been an interesting ride, I'll say that. The comedy part, which we can get to later, but, you know, that really opened up my horizons of, again, who I was and and what I was about, and it, and it built my confidence to a level to be able to do this, right? I've, I've been on other podcasts before. I've been on different panels before, and you don't really get that experience when you're, I guess I could call it a cog in the machine, you know, sitting at a cubicle, typing away at a desk, right? I'm I'm 38 now, I'll be 39 this year and still young, but you know, almost 40 pushing it. But uh, (laughs) when I was 31 uh, was when I decided to try stand-up comedy. And at the time I was working at Barclays Bank. I was working in uh, uh, wealth management as a margin analyst, working on different types of credit, customized credit portfolio loans. 
And I sat there and I said, geez, I got to do this for the next 30 years of my life. And that <laughs> gave me really some real pause. It gave me real anxiety, kind of gave me like, what, who am I supposed to become? What am I supposed to do? Where does this end? Right. Do I want to, you know, I'm happy to retire, but it's like, will I be 62 and burnt out and tired and, and upset at life? Or will I have experienced something? And I said, you know what, I'm going to try this. So on my 31st birthday of that year, 2014, did my first open mic in a suit, uh, you know, invited about 10 to 15 friends and, uh, you know, made it through. I, I ended up going up last in the in the in the show because the host said, you have all these people with you. And usually open mics are quite thin, maybe like seven to 10 comedians listening to each other. But I brought the crowd. So you know, I was able to do about six minutes of comedy. And, you know, that's where I got my start. And interestingly enough, about a year and a half later, I quit. I quit. I stopped. I Went to an open mic. There was three guys there. They were all 21 years old and, you know, young Jewish guys complaining about their mom and living in the basement and their girlfriend hated them. And I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing? I'm like, I literally I was like, what am I doing here? I'm in a suit. I work a real job. I have a salary. I have real issues. You know, my mom was right. You know, she's a PhD. So she's like, get your life together, you know, do, do the right things. And and so I stopped. And and to be honest with you, I, I regretted doing that because mm. the idea of I'll tell anybody and I've been telling people as I, I meet them in the last three or four years now, the ability to grab a mic, get on stage, get in front of people, a group. I don't care if it's three. I don't care if it's 300. The ability to do that, get on stage and speak and then speak to the point where you're making them laugh is, yeah. a, is a true gift to have if you have it naturally. Yep. But it's also a true gift to learn if you're if you have the, the guts to do so a lot of people try comedy they get on stage they fail they it's called bombing if you will yep. telling jokes and people staring at you crickets if people call it crickets and yep. i've been there i've been there i've told jokes in front of 200 people and had it just be quiet and you could hear a pin <laughs> drop and you're like wow uh i do should not be doing this um, but eventually just like in business uh, and just like in comedy you either find mentorship, which we'll get to right in your yeah. podcast, and you, and you start to uh, ask advice. You know, the best advice I give to anybody is ask questions. Find the people who've been doing it, tap them on the shoulder, ask them what you can do, how you can do it, what you can you do differently, and that helped. Uh, was it December of 2017? I did a set at Broadway Comedy Club, and it was in front of 250 people. And the guy who went in front of me was a, a, a I don't know if I can use this term, legit crackhead. When I say crackhead, like Ron, Ronnie Wilkerson, you know, Cosby, <laughs> Cosby sweater, missing teeth. You know, his hands shook when he used the mic. And he went up there, and he did 15 minutes of some of the best comedy I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, it's like, look, uh, never judge a book by its cover. You know, That's the way correct. That looked, the way that he sounded in the back room, in the green room, he never would have guessed. He got on stage, he killed it. And I was after him. So he went up, crushed the crowd. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not that good. And then my nerves set in. So when I got on stage, my hand was shaking. My <laughs> leg was shaking. I couldn't move from one place on the stage. And I was trying these jokes that I'd been working on, but that, no, then none of them hit. Maybe one of them did. And I, I cut my set short. I got off stage. The host was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I got to go. I left. I went outside. I had I never cried, but I was like, I was You're smoking close. a cigarette. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> this is not how I envisioned this. But I went back inside. And when I went back in, I went to the green room and I and I saw Ronnie. He's like, hey, man, great job. And I was like, nah, I, I was terrible. I, I had to follow you. You you killed it. 
Yeah. And he's like, well, listen, brother, like how long have you been doing comedy? And I said at, at the time, it was only about six or seven months that I'd been back into it. I was like, you know, I was like maybe three years and then like six months now, like really after it. He's like, bro, I've been doing this for 35 years. And whoa. He's like, you're going to follow people in your career that you wouldn't even think you'd be able to. You're going to be on shows with people. If you really want to stick to it, you know, you'll be around people who are famous and who are legit and who kill the crowd. He's like, none of that matters. He's like, I've, he's like, I followed Eddie Murphy. He's like, I followed Chris Rock. He was like, heck, I've, I've been on shows with Chris, uh, Richard Pryor and got high with him after. And I'm like, oh, God, what? Like, <laughs> So so this whole like lesson from him really came down to uh, two things. When you're on stage or when you're in front of people and you're speaking to people, it's you versus them. It's what you have to bring to the table and it's up to them to accept it or not. And if they don't screw them, he used a different word, but that's what I'll use, right? Screw them. And he said, at the end of the day, make sure that you're true to yourself when you go and do that. And when you tell your jokes, hey, you do it with confidence because they're going to see that in you and then they'll respond in time. And so the next week I was on this, I was scheduled on the same show time, uh, I think eight o'clock at Broadway Comic Club on the next, the next Friday. And I gathered myself, I did a little jumping around like I used to when I was a wrestler, shake it out. And when the, I said, you know what, just go out there and kill them. And I told myself that and I m- mentally prepared myself. And it's like, it's you versus them. And when I took that mindset, host called my name. I went up there, everything calmed down. I got on stage and I flowed and it was probably the best seven minutes I'd done in my career at that time. But I had the crowd just dying, like people like bowling over with laughter, spilling drinks. It was it was amazing. And when I got done, Ronnie wasn't there, but the host came up to me after. He's like, man, that's the best I've ever seen you do it. And so when you take those life lessons, right, we're all going to get knocked down. You're all going to bomb at some point, whether it's in your career or it's on stage. But you take those life lessons and take that advice. And it's now carried into my career, whether it's real estate, whether it's consulting with people on their businesses, whether it's being on the phone and talking with folks and, and opening conversations. You know, I kind of cold called you by introduction, but we were able to have a great conversation. Yeah. I'm so blessed for it. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Story. That's yeah. such a great story. How do you pull yourself out today when you're feeling that little bit of imposter syndrome? What's the <sighs> one or two tips that you do? Meditation. Okay. Prayer. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a godly, a religious person. My mom okay. had us in church when I was little. So those kind of lessons and, and things stick with you with uh, with comedy and that world uh, coping mechanisms and with finance, uh, you know, the stress and anxiety, yeah. you know, there, beca- there came a good amount of drinking, a good amount of, you know, kind of raging out with these folks. And you recognize like, man, you know, the people that are top finance folks that are partying and drinking like that. They're savages. I don't know how people do that. Comedians, kind of the same thing. And a lot of comedians who end up being big end up sober, right? You know, we can talk about sobriety, whatever, but get to that level, right? Not using using crutches as a coping mechanism. You know, that's been kind of big for me and something I've been working on over the last year or so, honestly, in my personal life. But getting rest, sleeping, staying, you know, trying to stay positive, listening to music, good music, whether it's calming music, jazz. You know, whether it's a slow song or something that's uplifting, gospel music, even, you know, a lot of those different things kind of help me clear my mind. And then let's be real therapy. Listen, we are in New York. We are in the New York tri-state area. If you don't have a therapist, thumbs up. Like your friends and your family are always great to go to. But a therapist or, or a listener, as my mom like to call them, like somebody who just can hear you out. And be yeah. a third party, unabashed person that doesn't have any angle to talk and no to. No judgment. About it. No judgment. It's amazing. No judgment it's very, zone. It's very freeing and it can yeah. reset you and recenter yeah. you back into a place where you're like, okay, I got this. I can move forward. 
you know, I'm going to be okay. And I think that's what a lot of anxieties for a lot of people come yeah. from, right? Am yeah. I going to be okay? Is yeah. life going to continue to go? Sorry about everybody on this call. It is like life's going <laughs> to continue, whether it's with or without you, it's going to keep going on. So you might as well hang in there. Do you feel that imposter syndrome lies more in one gender or the other? One race or the other, Ooh. one culture or the other. That's deep. Well, it's 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 three part. I think with men with men and women, I think it'd be unfair to give one advantage or disadvantage to one sex or the other, right? I think it goes. Sometimes I think it might go more socioeconomic, and we, that dives into culture as well. Yeah. But with men and women, I think it's imposter syndrome from a different perspective. Men as a as a sex are by societal norms are told. You know, you're the breadwinner, you're the head of the household, you know, from from the Bible, right? You're the head of the household. You control the home, you make the more mo- you make more money. That's society business, right? Um, which is still kind of true to this day, unfortunately, right? Equality and pay. Becoming leaders, right? Like it's like, you know, men are expected to become leaders or or looked or frowned upon if they're a follower, et cetera. So like that imposter syndrome, I think, sets in probably around middle school, right? When you hit puberty and, you know, are you good at sports? Can you can you control a room? Can you, you know, can you have, can you make friends easily? And when guys don't necessarily have that, they find it difficult to kind of foray into high school, college, and even into the business world. You know, a lot of that stuff came easily to me, but it was also a, um, it was a facade. It was, it was so an Do you imposter. think it's more pressure for a man to have imposter syndrome as a woman? I think that society expects it of men more. I think that's that, and, that's, and I, again, that's society. And when I say society, you know, we're both people of color for us, for, for black Americans, for Hispanic, Latinx, even for the Asian community, for people of color, Indian, even we're resilient because we have to be like, it was yes. like, it was embedded into us to be like, yeah. you're going to have to fight for every inch. That's right. Every roll That's and every right. dollar you get. And somebody's going to tell you no, and they're going to slam their, that door in your face. So, so that, expected. right. That goes into kind of the culture and race part of it. Right. Yeah. The difference is for women, you could answer that better than me. I think that from an outside looker, you know, outside perspective looking in, that maybe women on the on the beauty side, right? The beautification of women, how they're supposed to look, how you're supposed to carry yourself, how you're supposed to X, Y, and Z versus what you do in business. There's definitely right. statistics that show that women, when it comes to jobs and they're looking for job performance, uh, jobs that they are qualify for, they won't necessarily apply if they don't see that they check off more boxes. Whereas a man, three or four, I could do this job. Why not? Right. I've done that too. And you take a chance. What do you think? Let me ask you, take that back to you. Like, what do you think that might sit for women? Why do you think that is that they, you know, might not feel the the confidence or the, you know, kind of the, the, let's just go for it attitude is you think that's societal as well? I think it's societal. I also think it's cultural. I think it's that we were raised that way, you know? Yeah. You do this. If you think of the careers that women had early on, my mother was a school teacher. Teachers were mostly women. Nurses, right? Nurses, uh, etc. Although what we don't know is that women were also pilots in the service. They were mechanics. They were engineers. Yeah. Um, but that's not publicized as much. And we're hearing right. more and more about that. Yeah. But I think it is, you know, you're raised kind of like, okay, you were staying home raising children. Men were out there Getting it done, working in the workforce. Yeah. And so it luckily things are starting to change. You're starting to see more women in leadership roles, which is really great. So, yeah, I I think it's definitely cultural, how we were raised, society, all of those things that cause us to not go for what we want because we feel that we are not confident enough to do that. 
And then I think with the with our well, I say our generation. I'm more of an older millennial. You might be a little bit older than me. But I'm not saying anything, but you've yeah, seen, watch it, Keith. I know, right? <laughs> you, you know, you you've seen more. You know, you've seen more than I have in the growth of of yeah. that change, right? And you know, your mother's generation, my my grandmother's generation, the, those women really kind of had it tough, and and the women's lib movement and and things of that nature helped them out in the '60s and '70s, I'd say. Yeah. Just kind of at the same time civil rights was happening. I think since really since probably the 90s, mid 90s, you've seen such a great growth in, you know, women in leadership, women in C-level positions. You know, I, mean, I remember there was a black woman who I forget her name, but she was the CEO of Xerox. Right. Like, yeah, that, I remember seeing that and, and hearing her story and just being in awe of, of that. And, you know, we have a woman, a black woman vice president and, you know, women who have been able to really build that up and, and yeah. show that to young women and especially women of color hey, you can do it, right? There's no yeah. reason to say why. The problem, I think, is for us, for, for people of color, and for especially women of color, there's always be, oh, there's always somebody telling you that you can't. There, like, there's definitely the outside doubt and your own self-doubt. And right. so we just have to keep pushing through. So right. that brings me to my next question, which is about lifelines. I want to ask you, have you ever been in a situation where somebody has given you a lifeline that really made a difference in your life and pulling you through and bringing you along? Lifeline wise, I mean, I have a, one of the typical stories about knowing a guy and knowing his uncle, you know, like, like I was very, <laughs> like I had a lot of white friends growing up and through college. And really, when I got to Morgan Stanley, I had been, I'm trying to go back. So it was like 2008, 2009, and I'd moved okay. to New York. The credit crisis was happening. Um, I had gotten laid off, I think, from Bank of America. One of the I think our Sally Mae was there. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was figuring it out. And I was hustling in New York. And I was running around. Over the summer, I think of 09, my friend calls me. He's like, hey, man, what are you doing? You know, he's friend of a friend from Long Island. He's like, what are you doing like next weekend? I was like, nothing. He's like, you want to come out to the Hamptons? And I was like, Hamptons? Okay. I was like, I feel like I've heard of them. Uh, Isn't that like where all the rich people go over the the beach? And I'm from Delaware. So my beach is very not the Hamptons. You know, (laughs) it's families and fun and, you know, fun land and cotton candy and all that laffy taffy. And this guy's like, yeah, here's the address. It's some, some Dune Road. And I'm like, Dune Road. So I look up Dune Road and Google and it just starts bringing up all these houses. And I'm like, what? I was like, who? Okay, who are these people? I go out there. I drive out there in my little Honda Accord. And I roll out to this Dune Road house that was like seven bedrooms, like four and a half bath, private pool, private beach access. And I'm like, who Like, who bought this? Like, whose house is this? He's like, it's my uncle's. And his uncle had worked, at, had worked in private equity. Oh, so you weren't kidding. A friend of an uncle. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a friend's uncle. It's like, you know, my <laughs> uncle, Uncle Joe. <laughs> and, uh, he worked at Blackstone. He worked at Lazard. He worked at some really big private equity firms. And he was currently at Black at the time. He was at Blackstone. I think he's still there. But you know, killed it right, just doing amazingly. And him and his wife and his children and all their friends. I, I was the only black person there, but they were just so welcoming. They brought me in. They were like, "Dude, welcome to our home. Spend the weekend with us." And I remember talking with Joe and making a relationship with him just around what I wanted to do. You know, what I wanted to get into. I was like all about finance. Joe and I connected. And then I was like, you know what? It's great to have these kind of relationships because about five or six years later, I shot him my resume. I was at Barclays and I shot him my resume and he's like, Hey, I know a couple of guys at Morgan Stanley, shoot your info over, give you a referral. And at the time it almost doubled my salary. I went from probably 2009 making a certain amount. And like, by the time I got to Morgan Stanley, it was close to six figures, right? Like 
and they say lifeline financially, obviously, but it, it felt so good to say, yeah. to call that favor in right. and have to help me out. And like go and meet him in his office. And I was in awe of the guy. So the lifeline was there and I appreciated it. But the situation it got me into, I was like, well, I don't want to be doing this. And yeah. so the stress and anxiety kind of bubbled over after like two and a half years. I ended up leaving just again, like a burnout. Like I tried yeah. all it. It was, it was a lot. However, the lifeline itself, huge. Have you given somebody a lifeline where they've, even if it's maybe your girlfriend, uh, uh, I don't know if you have siblings, yeah. you know, where you kind of pull them out of something that they've experienced? I had an ex-girl, <laughs> it's kind of more funny, if you will, it's a lifeline, but kind of, it was more advice, but I was like, I was hot. I was hard on her, kind of like my, I was say maybe a mentor might be, but kind of like my mom was to me, like that tough love. I learned it. Yeah. I learned it young, right? Like you're going to have to figure this out. But she was an actress. We worked at a restaurant together in Times Square and she was wanted to do, wanted to do acting and wanted to do all these things. And I'm like, you got to figure it out. I'm like, you got to write this stuff down. Like, like make a list. What are your goals? <laughs> what do you need to get there? Right. And I'm like, oh my God, I sound like my mother. <laughs> and, she, and she had kind of had a tough time with that. It was like, it almost felt like I was pushing her too hard. And she's the ex. Hey, <laughs> and she's an ex. Um, you know, we did, we did not make it through, you know, that, that 2019 basically, um, which was a tough year, but a lifeline there or a lifeline or a situation where I can recall really helping somebody out was uh, the situation where we had our comp day. Listeners don't know comp day is where you get your bonus or raise and they give you a letter and it's for your review for the year. And, you know, I got nothing and nothing. And I was like, well, screw you. And I gave my boss a piece of my mind and I walked out of there hot headed and, you know, kind of became angry black man, which, you know, was detrimental for me. But, you know, in the end, at the end of the day, I was being real to my feelings and how I felt. My coworker sitting next to me, a white woman, she was amazing at her job. She was, you know, just looking for recognition. She was looking for it not only to be told it and say, hey, we're doing a good job, but, you know, to be shown that via a, a, a promotion and, and an increase of her base. And I think she got a very small amount and no promotion. And she came out of that office crying. And I was like, good God, like, okay, what happened in there? You know, because I was already steaming. So now I'm upset that, you know, that he's in there making her feel like crap. So kind of protecting, if you will, you know, if I'm, I'm not a leader, but I was like an AVP. I'm like, I'm older. I'm like, no, screw him. Da, da, da. And I was like, listen, and I just leaned over. I was like, hey, what's going on? And she's like, you know, you wish that you would get more recognition. Like you, you would think that you'd work this hard and not just have nothing to show for it. And she's like, and I'm tired. And she was crying. And I said, I was like, look at me. I was like, get up, take a walk, get out of here. Get out of here for as long as you need. We will handle the desk. I'll take your calls, whatever. Like, just put your phone on aux and go. And I was like, and cool off. I was like, do not let them see you down. Do not let them steal your joy. And she kind of wiped her tears and said, okay, thanks. And she yeah. got out of there and she came back maybe like 30 minutes later and sat down and went, thank you. And I knew right then it's like, I'm going to have a friend for life. Like, yeah. you know, she's still a friend. I mean, we're not always in contact with each other, but I, we follow each other on social media. In that moment, I felt, wow, I really do have this gift to be able to, whether it's cool somebody or soothe their fears and, and kind of like, hey, say, yeah. hey, take a moment. In myself, I recognize the maturity there, even though I can be quite immature sometimes. In the in that moment, I was like, okay, there's a level of what I can do to help people. Yeah. And then eventually that'll be a goal of mine, right? Yeah. Like I, 
as a consultant, like I've started my own business, KRMC Consulting LLC. If anybody wants to look me up, at the end of the at the end of the day, a friend recently told me he was like, "If you had a hundred million dollars, what would you do?" And I said, "You know what? I'd I'd invest in real estate and I'd help people. Helping people can be such a broad range, kind of like what you're doing, co- career coaching and and helping people in their lives and and their livelihood." You know, neither of us are psychologists or psychiatrists, so no. that's different, right? It's not that kind of help. But if you can get somebody in a mind frame to have a call, to have a podcast, to have a, a just something that brightens their day and sh- and kind of shows them the way a little bit or helps them with their business, I think that's huge. It's yeah, that's so big for us as people and human beings to absolutely share that with each other. So celebrate the wins that we can make for others Amen. and for ourselves, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How about yourself? Let me ask you and throw that question back. Your lifelines, you know who. Anybody in particular that you can think of, you know, any situation kind of like that I had that, you know, that really helped you in your career or? or... I've had several lifelines. I can go back to as far as high school days of having family friends who were lifelines who pulled me through. I was raised by a single mom, tough love. So, you know, you, you sink, swim. I just had a quote that I remembered my mother saying to me all the time. You could cry all you want. Have a good cry. It's good for you, but you either you have choices. You can either change the situation or accept the situation the way it is. So what's your choice? And that stayed with me. So having lifelines is really important. And now for me, I feel that I've done quite a bit, you know, impacted by the pandemic in the travel and hospitality industry where things just went completely and, you know, tanked. I didn't have a job and so did many others. But I found myself just automatically almost wearing the hat that I had in my job saying, how can I help you? Who can I connect with you? Who can I, who can I introduce you to? And so I continue to do that today with people who are looking, searching, maybe a little lost. It's like, how can I help you? Because it goes a long way. It really it does. does. Uh, I would say each, each one teach one, you know, reaching yeah. out, helping hand. It's like, you know, car- karma, right? Like what yes. comes around. It's so real. The universe will reward you if you're just open. I saw a meme recently. It was a it was a brother, a black man talking to a group of guys, and he said, "Listen, man, we're we're." He's like, "Every day you wake up, you got a chance and a choice. You have a chance because you woke up this morning. You got 24 hours in the day to make the best of it, what you will." He's like, "But you have a choice to figure out if you're going to do that or not. You get that chance, and you got to thank God for that, or thank whoever you you thank. But you sit up and go, I got a choice today. What am I going to do with it? Yeah. And man, if you take that, you know, the right choice and go the right way with it, your whole day, you, and you can change someone else's day. You can make right. someone else's day, and it's like right. really is huge. So, what do you see in the future as far as picking another mentor? And do you think you would make it more formal?" I pray that I'm able to find one, you know, here through, you know, I think I might have a bit of a de facto one as well. Um, you know, just in the short time we've met, you've helped me and we've talked, Yeah. you know, I'm working with a gentleman who runs his own consulting business and, you know, helping him out with some work. And it's interesting to see that entrepreneurial spirit. He's got about 10 years on me and we've known each other for about 12 years. And, you know, he's been giving me some really good nuggets of advice of, of what to do and, and how to handle it. And, kind of telling me like, you'll get there too. I think in the business world, you know, when you get to like, like in my last role, I was in sales, I was in medical sales and 
you know, I had, I worked with one of my very, very close friends. He wasn't a mentor, but we would talk offline about job stuff and, and how to handle situations, but that's different. And, you know, they spoke to that company that I was with, spoke to mentorship and mentees. And I never saw that program, right? Like I wasn't reached out to about it. And maybe I didn't inquire. I was busy a lot, but you know, had I inquired, maybe I would have met with someone at the end of the day, like wherever I end up, if I, you know, if I get back into the nine to five world, which I, I'm looking, but you know, it's like, Hey, tag somebody and, and maybe do what you did. Grab somebody who's not in my industry or not at my career, at my company yeah. and, and kind of work with them and have, you know, your weekly calls or check-ins so that you can, can, you can hear and listen kind of what they've done over their career and how they can help you. And then yeah. the other way is, is, go, is doing it the other way. Maybe become a mentor. We started the call off with imposter syndrome and you got to kind of just stick those feelings down a little bit and go, can I mentor somebody? Do I have the ability to? And ask yourself absolutely. that question. I think the answer is yes, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, hope, maybe Maybe that opportunity presents itself too, because as a mentor, as you know, but as uh, from a mentee position, but from a mentor's position, you end up learning a lot about yourself by mentoring somebody else. So, oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's There's like no it goes question. both ways. Um, yeah. You know, I, yeah. Again, yeah. In the next three to five years, hopefully that has uh, done it. You know, done that for me. In the next six months, right? I'm able to connect with folks and be able to to share share my story and also learn from somebody else's. I have several business mentors today. I find that you can have that casual conversation of how's it going and everything else. If there's something that you're trying to work through or you need that sounding board, it's really important to have it as a structure. So for me, I need time on your calendar to talk about X, Y, and Z. And so I treat it more like it's a, a, a real purposeful meeting as opposed to, hey, how's it going? Chewing the crap, yeah. And it, it really does help. So. Did you ever experience this with, with getting a cup of coffee at all? I don't know if you've ever heard that term. You know, like, yes, I've 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 had that, and yeah. um, I met with somebody recently networking with just coffee, but it was you know an intentional meeting of networking. Mentorship comes out of that naturally. Sure. But I, yeah. I, I say that because in my in the finance world, it was always you know reach out to somebody, ask them to get a cup of coffee. Like a lot of times, it would you know it was kind of like an interview. It was almost like an interview, or maybe too maybe more informal. You know, yeah, thing in a Starbucks talking about this guy's wife and kids. And you're like, I know, dude, I want to know about commercial banking. Get to the meat of it, right? Let's get to the gist of it. It's true about human beings. And and you know this already as well. Somebody reaches out to us with an inquiry or a true ask of who you are and what you do and what you're about. We are usually very happy to share that. We are. People love talking about themselves. People love talking about (laughs) themselves. That's really true. See message like, COOs and like, you know, guys who are like managing directors and like, yeah, man, give me 15 minutes. You know, let me, you know, talk to Mark, talk to Mary. She'll schedule you and like come by and they'd be super stoked. You know, I have a guy in your office, but at the end of the day, you're like, great, man. Thanks for the chat. Uh, what do I do from here? And they're like, oh, yeah. figure it out. Literally, yeah. like, you know, keep, <laughs> keep your head. I remember a guy was like, keep your head down, keep working. Like, you know, give your, you know, you only been here like six months, give yourself some time. And I'm like, yeah. Dan, that didn't help me at all, bro. Like, it, right. You, 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 you walk um, out with more questions than you had when you came in. Correct. Correct. And then unfortunately, <laughs> it's like, I, I go back to being a black man, like in that industry and just in industry and business in general, it's like, we become an anomaly in a way or like being well-spoken, being educated, like looking a certain way. You know, people, not that they stay away from you, but it's like, there's not that many of us in those senior level positions to then help the ones who are below. For for white males, it's kind of like, dude, these guys I've seen, I don't get told you before, I've seen a guy go from analyst to like AVP to VP within like five years. And I was there for three years and I was an AVP the whole time or 
my coworker was a, an African-American woman was an AVP for nine years and, and she's still an AVP. So it's like, how, do, yeah. like, how does that work? Like what, or, or it's like, why is that fair? And it's not, it's just not, it just isn't, but that's kind of how it works in terms of people looking down and, and picking up who they look like and what, what uh, they see in themselves is what they end up mentoring. Yeah. Cause sometimes you have to look within to see right. what it is you're doing what's your story that right. you're not advancing or you're not getting in front of the right person that and part. I'm hearing your voice and can you, you for who you are and can you change because diversity inclusion and equity you know that now seems to be <laughs> I mean DEI in business is not like a CRT in education like not to bring po- like politics into it but you know CRT is law school stuff DEI is a real metric and thing and 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 value and moral value of morals about recruiting people who don't look like the status quo of the last hundred years right. into these businesses. It's really been imparted with a lot of companies. Uh, I'll admit my last company did that. Companies I'm with now, inclusion, equity. We really want to make sure that we focus on that as a culture, as a society, but it's it's got its growing pains. And, yeah. you, really, and you really see where quotas around recruiting or, you know, why do we have to call three females and three males and, you know, and two people of color and, right. and recruiters asking those questions. And you're like, why do they even have to impart that rule right. on you to do that? You should even, you should be open to because yeah. people are qualified, but they only go for certain sounding names. You know, you have an ethnic sounding name. Mine is not. I mean, it's Irish. You know, on paper, I'm a white guy. I, you know, I, I call that out all the time. I, that's my opening joke in comedy. My name's Keith Collars. I'm white on paper. It's funny, you know, and it, and it comes off as hilarious until you've lived it. And then you go into a, you know, an interview and people are looking at you sideways like, you're Keith. I didn't know, you know, I wasn't expecting you. You know, you, your voice on the phone didn't sound or look like what I would be expecting. And that changed the whole dynamic. So it's like, we're trying to get to the point where that shouldn't matter anymore. Unfortunately, we've made progress, but we have still work to do there. So I want to ask you, have you had an experience where somebody has been an ally for you in a meeting or in a situation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I think allyship when, when George, when the George Floyd situation happened, um, you know, we were all working from home, you know, or just not working. I was, you know, I was blessed to be in a role and a couple coworkers reached out. I wrote a story on a pretty long post. That was a story on Facebook about uh, reconciliation with race. I was called and I was called a racial slur as a nine-year-old. I was beat up at a birthday party and, you know, I ended up getting quite angry and, you know, going home to grab a weapon or baseball bat come back and I was going to show those kids who they were messing with. And my mom stopped me and, you know, she sat me down and, and again, being nine, having that reconciliation that you're different was so foreign in a way, because I, you don't really, uh, you don't really get it. You get it, but it's right. like it's at home. When I did that, a lot of friends or people who were f- Facebook friends reached out. A lot of it was white women. And I, and I, you know, when I bring them up, uh, you know, I date one specifically, you know, I, I live with a woman who who is white, but you know, she's a true ally. She understands she's traveled the world and she understands the dynamics. And I think that's that's what puts her as a teacher in a charter school with kids of, of, of color. And she recognizes that she plays a role in that and that there is privilege in her skin color. But what she what she does with it is, is important. So, you know, that's an example. But I think going through business, I think, you, you know, I've talked to some people, you know, my old company who reach out and just check on you and, and see if yeah. you're OK you know, understanding what's going on in the world and that, you know, that things aren't that fair. Right. But yeah. 
but people are starting to open their eyes. And I think that's good. I wrote some posts that were not unsavory, if you will, but I've, they've been charged, right? They've been like, y'all need to open your eyes. You need to see what's going on in this world and not realize that there, you have blinders on and that your privilege and what you're doing and how you're moving through life is a whole lot easier than other people walking around here. But we're, we're dealing with some stuff that we got to work through and we could use your help. So I think now you're starting to see a lot more allyship. You're starting to see a lot more people step up. What pivot have you made from what we discussed today? Thinking more into ourselves, understanding knowledge of, of self. And that has that has actually pivoted for me in the last six months or so. Um, you know, very fresh, but also it pivoted very much so during the pandemic, much like yeah. yourself as well. Having to stop comedy, uh, stop, you know, the the working in the restaurants and, and working as a real estate agent full time at the time kind of shut everything down. And mm-hmm. it kind of got my mindset to where, OK, where can I pivot to strategically and ended up at my last role. But it also gave me a foray into sales, which I hadn't had before in my career. So now that opened up so many windows for me here in the future. Also, knowing that I'm a relationship manager, I'm an account manager, I'm a, I'm a relationship guy. I, I collect people, as a friend like to say. <laughs> and, and I'm able to just, I'm able to connect people um, and have that empathy and compassion so that you talked about. So hugely important. Yeah. Thank you so much for this candid conversation. It this was, was a awesome. pleasure having you on here. Yeah. And, um, where can people reach you? You have a LinkedIn page. Definitely opened my, you know, a consulting business, uh, KRMC Consulting LLC. I haven't put it on LinkedIn yet, but I'm on LinkedIn, just Keith Collins, MBA. Uh, you can see kind of my posts and stuff there. Um, right. On the comedy side, you know, if you want to follow me, I'm on Instagram. It's Keith Collins 83 should pop up. I'm, I'm currently private, but, you know, open to getting in some speaking engagements here in the next in the near future. Going to be traveling to University of Denver, traveling to L.A. to do some comedy as well. So, you know, people can reach out and, and kind of follow me or, or add me at, at will. Right. Happy to have those conversations. Awesome. All the best to you. And we hope to have you back soon. Michelle, we hope we will be back. I hopefully uh, soon. If I ever set up a podcast, you'll be one of my first guests. Awesome. Uh, This was an awesome experience. I really do appreciate you. Tune in for part four. If you enjoy our show, please rate us on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you for listening to Heart Inspired. Until next time, I'm your host, Michelle Delgado. And don't forget to lean in, be heard, and be inspired. This podcast was created by Heartmetrics Consulting, editing and co-produced by David Castle Productions, and co-distributed by Business Travel 360. For more information about Heartmetrics Consulting, visit us at heartmetrics.com. Heartmetrics.com.